0: There are events that test our mettle and our resolve. As we move through this crisis, how are we coping, adapting, fighting on? Join us for local stories of perseverance, creativity, and contributing to community as we showcase Detroit area leaders who share their thoughts and stories and discuss how they and their organizations are managing adversity and serving others. Welcome to Michigan Motors Forward and Metro Detroiters who are pivoting evolving and moving ahead.
1: Welcome to Michigan Motors Forward. I'm John Gay. As we record today's episode on April 21st, Michigan, like other states, struggling with when and how to reopen its economy. You may be wondering what conversations are being had between the business community and the government in Lansing. Here to shed some light on that subject is Brad Williams, the Vice President for Government Affairs at the Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce, the state's largest business group. Brad, thanks for joining us today. John, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So let me ask you this, Brad, for anybody who's not familiar with this whole process, what kinds of conversations are you having from the chamber's perspective with both the legislature and with the Whitmer administration?
0: Well, I mean, these conversations began the moment the shutdowns started. I mean, not even just the shutdowns, but the ramping down of public gatherings. We were in immediate and constant contact, particularly with the governor's office. Uh, It's not that the legislature isn't an important player. They certainly are. But once you go into a declaration of emergency, the governor's office is top of mind because they have the ability to act almost unilaterally uh, at this point. And so I'm in contact with the governor's office multiple times per day to really voice the concerns of the business community, the members of the chamber, and the non-members of the chamber right now. We look at ourselves as serving all members of the business community, whether they pay chamber dues or not right now. But it's twofold. It's not just voicing the concerns of the chamber members, but also helping our members interpret uh, what these orders mean for them Mm -hmm. and understanding, because this is complicated. This is not simple. This is unprecedented. Uh, I know that's an overused term, but we're going through something that none of us were prepared for or equipped for. My education and my training makes me a little bit more equipped to help interpret what's coming out of the state capital than someone who's trying to run their business on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I've got some relationships and some ability to help interpret this. So I, I view that as my role is to be a helper uh, and to help interpret for the business community uh, what this all means and how they can keep moving forward.
1: I know you may not be able to share specific details of specific conversations, but can you sort of give me a general sense of what's covered in these types of conversations?
0: Well, I can give you a good example. When we started to get wind that the first stay-at-home order was going to come and those few businesses that were still operating as normal were going to have to ramp down their operations, uh, we immediately got on the phone with the governor's office and started to offer our counsel as to what a stay-at-home order could look like in a way that, you know, obviously this is going to be a difficult thing to navigate no matter what, but how could we help them create a stay-at-home order that was the most navigable for businesses? And so there's a couple things that got into that initial stay-at-home order that we think were important. Uh, One was putting the CISA list in there that's the homeland security list for what is and what is not critical infrastructure okay That was something that we pushed hard for the other thing was allowing businesses to designate who is their critical supply chain uh, as opposed to other states where it was really up to the state to designate who was part of the critical supply chain so that that meant that people's supply chains got bogged down as to whether or not they could continue to operate And the third thing was to allow businesses to maintain some minimum basic operations to do things like protect the value of their inventory, to process payroll, to facilitate people working from home. Uh, Those are three things that we spent a good chunk of the weekend before the stay-at-home order came working with the governor's office to make sure those were in the first order. Those are tangible evidence of things that we were able to do through our relationships uh, and the ability to be in the room with the governor's office, be in the room, uh, that's in quotes. As much as we can be these days, right? Yeah, as much as we can these days to make a very difficult situation uh, just a little bit less difficult for businesses.
1: So I'd imagine that you are on the front lines of this sort of tug of war, Brad, between business health and personal health because there's this push to reopen for the sake of the business and to keep people employed and financially stable but there's also the health concerns as well how does that play into these conversations
0: yeah i think it's important to look at it as not being a zero sum game uh, that personal health and economic health are the same thing the last thing that a business wants as painful as this stay at home order has been for the last 5 weeks it would be even more painful if we had a false start. Uh-huh. If we uh, started to ramp back up and got the economy going and had another flare up of this virus and had to go into the shutdown order again, I know I don't want to spend another five or six weeks stuck at home. Uh, and I know uh, everyone who's had to file up for unemployment or work from home doesn't want to do that either. And our businesses don't want to have to do that. And so economic health and personal health are the same. Yeah. And a productive employee and a healthy employee are the same thing. And so we've got to look at these two as working hand in hand. So we need to get back to work, but we need to do it smartly uh, and take the right precautions and the right steps before we do it. And I think you know, the legislature has started to put some plans on the table that are thoughtful and worth considering. And I know the governor is working with the other governors in the Midwest to think how we can do this collaboratively because, of course, the virus doesn't stop at the state lines. We've got to think about this as a region. We're hopeful that uh, we can put some good old American ingenuity behind this and figure out how to reopen the smart way.
1: I like that a lot, and I like the point that you made about it not being a zero-sum game between business health and physical health, and that's important to remember. Brad, I want to ask you about this uh, study that the Detroit Chamber released this week, this poll showing that 29% of respondents to the poll have been furloughed, laid off, unable to work. And of those working prior to the outbreak, 42% of those folks are out of work. What are some of these big takeaways you've seen from this uh, research you've done
0: just this past week? Yeah, so we wanted to do some polling to figure out, you know, we hear all these massive raw numbers about the number of people uh, who have filed for unemployment. We wanted to maybe put this in a context, a more digestible context, so we could see what's really going on on the ground. And one of the things that we looked at was how many people actually are unemployed what does the unemployment uh, look like and as you mentioned you know we asked people who's been furloughed laid off or, or unable to work and that number was pretty staggering at 29 percent that's 42 percent of the workforce that was working before this crisis began uh, and that's uh, jaw-dropping we estimate that the real unemployment rate right now in Michigan is about 27 and percent that is a number that literally has never been recorded in Michigan before. This is depression level numbers. Now, we hope that the fundamentals of the economy are strong enough that when we do get back to work, there's an opportunity to make a relatively steep climb back out. But we can't underestimate the amount of anxiety and pain that people are going through right now either. You know, when I mentioned earlier that public health and economic health are the same, we've got to think about the anxiety and the mental health And strain that is going through the folks who are unemployed right now, worrying about how they're going to pay their bills. You know, another question that we asked in there is Are you worried about whether or not you're going to be able to put food on the table? That number was at 28%. 28% of the people living in this state are worried about whether they're going to be able to put food on the table. That sends shivers down my spine, and I think it probably does most of us because Michiganders are good people who care about their neighbors. Let's not forget. While the curve is flattening and we're looking forward to better days, still, right now, people are in very rough shape.
1: One of the other questions you asked in this poll, Brad, was about those who would qualify this as a major or catastrophic financial impact. What do those numbers tell you?
0: Well, I mean, just like I said, this is having a, a significant, significant impact on folks. You know, very few people are going about their life as it is normal, even those of us who are working from home and maybe haven't seen a significant drop in income. Those people are few and far between. Uh, Most people are seeing a significant drop in income. 28% of of Michiganders are not working at all. You know, you gotta worry about how are you gonna pay your mortgage? How are you gonna put food on the table? Uh, Those are huge, huge challenges and uh, scary for a lot of folks in Detroit, in Grand Rapids and in Traverse City. And I think it's interesting to know that while Detroit has bared the brunt of the health impact thus far, uh, when you break out the numbers on the economic impact, the unemployment and the other economic numbers are more significant outstate hmm. in Grand Rapids or in Traverse, the Traverse City media market actually had the biggest uh, economic impact. I believe it was 41% of folks in the Traverse City media market are unemployed, furloughed or unable to work. There's a big health impact in Detroit and there's a huge economic impact outstate. state.
1: In addition to the economic impact, Brad, one of the things that really struck me about this poll was, you know, with testing has been ramped up at the fairgrounds and the state has done a better job than some other states. But you also asked people who thought they'd been infected
0: by COVID-19, regardless of whether or not they've been tested, right? Yeah, well, and, and I think especially those of us who uh, are in Metro Detroit, we probably all know lots of people who have the virus or are presumed positive to have the virus but haven't been tested yet or have had the virus. And so our poll told us 9% of Michiganders believe they've had the virus even if they haven't been tested. Hmm. Uh, and that's significantly higher than what the confirmed cases are. So that's staggering. Another thing that I think you know most people will be shocked to learn is that 18% of those continue to work as normal. These aren't people who are working from home. These are people who are working as they were before. So these are people who are working at, you know, your Meyer, your Kroger, a lot of people who are frontline healthcare workers uh, who've had the virus or maybe have the virus or believe they have it and are working as normal. That is evidence why social distancing is so incredibly important. We're never going to completely lick the virus uh, if we don't adhere to these social distancing measures.
1: Absolutely. And there's a pretty big split among the poll respondents on when people think that we're going to get back to a quote unquote normal here in Michigan too.
0: Yeah, and I think there's more optimism, I guess, amongst Michiganders than I would have expected mm. as to how soon they're going to get back to normal and how soon we as a state are going to get back to normal. You know, I think it's good on one hand because Michiganders we've seen some stuff before. We've lived through (laughs) some economic downturns, uh, particularly Detroiters. Uh, And so, you know, we know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. We know that we're going to live to fight another day. I hope that we're right, that we're going to bounce back out of this pretty quickly. I think we've got a chance, but I also hope people aren't setting themselves up for unrealistic expectations. It's not like May 1st, you know, the governor's indicating that we might start to open things back up, but it's not like on May 1st, We're just going to snap our fingers and things are going to go back to normal either. This is going to take some time. You know, I hope on May 1st that I can uh, go and give my mom a hug, but I don't think I'm going to go out for brunch with my mom on May 1st. Uh, So I think everyone should have the right expectations.
1: Fair enough. And as you mentioned at the top, the uh, Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce is the state's largest business group. What resources does the chamber have available to businesses that are struggling as we fight through this, Brad?
0: Well, we have an entire resource site that I think, you know, I'm biased, but in my opinion, is the best across the state uh, at DetroitChamber.com slash COVID-19 that has information. If you're an employer, an employee, it's just got a wealth of information. The other thing that we've done, uh, one of my colleagues, Megan Spanitz, and I uh, started talking about this the first day we were kind of in crisis mode. We knew that people were starved for information from reliable sources. And so we said, well, maybe we should start using our relationships with elected officials and get them a direct line of communication with our members. So we started a teletown hall series, Uh and we've been averaging about one teletown hall per day. We've had the governor, we've had both our US senators, the CEO of Beaumont Health, folks from Henry Ford Health System. And so we're doing those every day. You can find a lineup of those on the Chamber website at DetroitChamber.com slash COVID-19. We just had Dennis Archer Jr. talking about the impact on Detroit entrepreneurs today. It's been a great resource for folks. Uh, It helps people get their questions answered. And to the extent that we can't get their questions answered immediately, my team is going through back every day and going through and contacting the folks who we haven't been able to ask their questions live and seeing if we can't get their questions answered on the back end. So we've been trying to touch base uh, with those people individually that we can't do during the teletown hall. So uh, I think that's a great resource for folks who are just desperate looking for any uh, information they can get.
1: Terrific resource for business folks here in Southeast Michigan. And we're going to link to that website from the show notes in this episode. Scroll down and click on that if you need to. Brad Williams, VP for Government Affairs, the Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Michigan Motors Forward is produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts in partnership with Tanner Friedman Strategic Communications. Subscribe for free on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are found.